Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 306 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about inflation and specifically the impacts that inflation are having in our economy right now uh, and specifically how inflation is going to impact your investments and impact the stock market as a whole as we move forward uh, throughout the rest of this year into next year uh, and in the future right so uh, i really want to talk about all these impacts i want to talk about uh, what some very big names in finance are saying about inflation uh, and hopefully we can look at this and uh, you know make some objective determinations about what type of impact inflation should have. And then we can talk about whether or not we should do anything about it or can do anything about it in our own portfolio. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long-form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you're interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual watching or listening to the show on a day-to-day basis. Now, inflation is something that we haven't really had to deal with much in the recent past, right? Uh, In the past decade or two, even uh, inflation hasn't been a huge deal in the United States. Uh, We haven't had to deal with any substantial inflation and uh, the Fed hasn't really had to uh, take inflation into its accounts as far as, uh, you know, how they are going to set monetary policy, how they're going to, um, you know, maybe do any easing, you know, buying, uh, you know, government bonds, which we'll talk about here shortly, or how they're going to set rates. They haven't had to really take inflation into account because inflation hasn't moved much, right? And some may argue that the reason that inflation hasn't moved much is because uh, the the measures that they're using for inflation are not uh, adequate measures. And that may be uh, a good case to make. But Ultimately, those same measures that we're saying are not adequate measures have finally moved and they're finally moving uh, in upward directions in a significant way. Uh, And so the question really becomes, uh, is inflation going to get in the way of this market? Is Is inflation really what's going to hold this market back from going as high as it can go? Now, naturally, we should review what inflation is, right? Inflation in a general sense is just the increasing uh, of the prices of goods and services over time, right? Uh, as the prices of goods and services increase, though, what happens to the value of the money that you have? The value of the money that you have naturally goes down, okay? Uh, so just in the simplest form, that's what inflation will be. And it can be tracked by uh, the CPI, the PPI, whatever uh, is chosen by uh, the individual who's saying this is the best metric for inflation. But again, those uh, metrics fall under much scrutiny as well. Now, uh, the whole idea as far as what the Fed can do when it comes to inflation, right, uh, is when inflation runs too hot, you don't want inflation running too, too hot because naturally, uh, as prices increase too quickly, uh, then you leave the consumer behind, right? The, if the prices of things are just going up, 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 uh, then the consumer is falling behind in their ability uh, to you know pay for whatever they need to pay for, 
right? If the price of, uh, let's say, groceries goes up 20%, uh, but let's say your pay only goes up, you know, 4%, right? You're at quite the deficit relative to what you were before the increase in prices, right? So uh, this can be a real issue. And so the Fed steps in uh, in many cases. Now, the big issue that we're dealing with now is that the Fed, the Federal Reserve, uh, they've been in this you know, process of easing since uh, the coronavirus pandemic hit. Uh, and they've kept rates very, very low. Uh, and doing both of those things is very friendly to growth, right? Which seems great. You're like, okay, very friendly to growth. We, we like growth. Cool, right? The problem is, is that the economy as a whole is not growing in the same way that it was expected to out of the coronavirus pandemic. Right, uh, it's been much more of a, a slow burn than it has been uh, this big jump in economic activity. Not only uh, is that the case, when you see uh, inflation start occurring, meaning the increases of prices, right? Uh, you see that start occurring. Typically, what that's going to force a Federal Reserve to do uh, is to make changes to their monetary policy quite swiftly. Right. The problem is, is that they have dual mandates, right? The two mandates that the Fed has uh, are maximum employment and stable prices, right? Well, stable prices has to do with inflation, right? So it would make sense why they would have to do things to keep that in check, right? But maximum employment seems to be the problem, right? Because uh, maximum employment is really being hampered uh, by the fact that you've had uh, the pandemic, you've had a bunch of unemployment insurance, you've had a bunch of people who uh, left the workforce altogether, a bunch of people who became uh, just independent contractors or uh, doing things as sole proprietors now or whatever, right? Uh, you have a bunch of people who are not in the traditional workforce in the way that they were, okay? Uh, so even though you don't have this idea of full employment reached, uh, inflation is increasing, right? Uh, so the question is, what does the Fed do? Uh, does the Fed pull off of the um, you know per repurchasing of bonds that they've been doing, right? This quantitative easing, uh, this repurchasing of bonds, all they do is they go to banks and they uh, repurchase the treasury bonds from the banks, thus putting money into the economy and stimulating the economy, right? That's something that they can do. And then uh, they can also go about uh, changing interest rates. And interest rates have been extremely low, which means that borrowing is very, very cheap, uh, for banks from one another and for corporations. Uh, therefore, again, that uh, promotes growth. But uh, when you have too high inflation, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to uh, either taper, which means uh, stop or slow down uh, this repurchasing of bonds from the market, and or you're going to have to start increasing rates. And the thing that the market is most afraid of is the increasing in rates because that um, immediately and specifically impacts the cost of borrowing for companies, right? And as the cost of borrowing goes up, companies become uh, more conservative in their financial uh, decisions because now if they want to take out debt to grow, that debt is more costly. So it better be worth it to actually take out that debt to grow, okay? Therefore, right, what we're looking at is the situation where, okay, the Fed has yet to taper, but they're talking about tapering, okay, uh, so maybe that occurs, but the need for a possible increase in rates to slow down inflation could be very real because as you increase rates, that's going to not promote growth, uh, but it's going to hinder growth because, again, uh, if it's more costly to borrow, uh, then less firms are going to do so, uh, therefore uh, decreasing the amount of stimulation in the economy and thus pushing inflation back down, which is what typically needs to be done in these types of situations. The problem is, is that the market 
the stock market is likely to react in a very, very, very swift way uh, if, if something is done that is not expected. Now, at this point, the market seems to be expecting that there's going to be some tapering, right? The market seems to be expecting that there's going to be uh, some slowdown in uh, this repurchasing of bonds, right? They're, they're not afraid of that. What the market may be afraid of, though, is the fact that uh, the Fed may not be taking inflation as seriously as it needs to take it, right? And they fail to act as much as they should, and they don't raise rates when they should raise rates, or they don't signal that they're going to raise rates, and then they do, uh, and then in the case that that would happen, uh, the market would have some you know, very swift and very uh, likely negative things uh, to say about uh, the Federal Reserve and uh, the position that they've taken, right? So all this comes about to me, uh, that, that's just the background, right? All this comes about to me, uh, there's two articles that I ran across um, this weekend, and I wanted to share them with you uh, because I think they're useful. I think uh, they're useful articles to talk about. One is in the Wall Street Journal, and it says, uh, does the Fed have the will to fight inflation? And then the other uh, was on CNBC, and it's, uh, market is unprepared for the inflation fallout, Wharton's Jeremy Siegel warns, right? Jeremy Siegel uh, wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run. Uh, he's a um, you know, professor at um, you know, Wharton you know, School of Business, a very well-known guy in financial markets, um, and you know, he's typically a bull. And so to hear a bull talk about the market being unprepared for a negative event is something that you might perk up to. Okay, so let's just start with does the Fed have the will to fight inflation? All right, this is what this article says. It's been said that more money has been lost in search for yield uh, than at the point of a gun. Those who've tried to bet against bonds since the S&P downgraded America's credit rating in 2011 has, have questioned the validity of that maximum as rates have broadly declined and bond prices have risen. It might seem a mystery why investors would accept a negative real return on what's considered the closest thing in the world to a risk-free asset. The answer has a lot to do with the Federal Reserve's continuing purchase of treasury bonds. That's this quantitative easing that they're doing, right? The Fed's policy of quantitative easing injures middle-class savers. People without financial assets get kneecapped by the policy known as financial repression, uh, purposefully attempting to pay for government spending uh, by keeping interest rates below the rate of inflation. This policy has been a boon for the wealthy, but a disaster for average people who earn no return at all on their savings. And this is 100% true, right? When inflation runs higher, and yet you can get no return on your savings in a bank, because if you go and put your savings in a bank right now, you can make almost nothing because uh, rates have been held extremely low. But inflation's increasing, therefore the purchasing power of your money, your money's ability to buy goods and services, to pay for goods and services, is naturally decreasing, right? Uh, therefore, this is a disaster for people who do not have financial assets. But inflation in general, uh, just you know, some moderate inflation, is not bad for those who do own financial assets. But ultimately, any money that you have in the bank is going down in value. Your salary is going down in value. Uh, the money that you're going to spend at the grocery store is going to go up. The money that you're spending at a car lot is going up, right? So there are some real effects for all Americans. Now, while the Fed has talked about slowing down the pace of its asset purchasing, no, 
known as tapering, as I was talking about, it's important to remember that it's still technically easing. Right? This leads us to wonder whether the Fed can actually raise rates again without significant pain and major dislocations in the global economy. The sheer size of financial assets today relative to the size of the economy suggests that the tail may be wagging the dog. Any significant decrease in the price of securities is likely to damage consumer confidence. A reported 56% of U.S. households hold common stocks uh, either directly or through retirement accounts, and the correlation between confidence and stock prices has grown. Total financial assets in the U.S. now represent 565% of GDP, of gross domestic products. So that's all the goods and services uh, that we produce in the United States every year. So uh, the financial assets that we hold uh, are several times greater than uh, the amount of goods and services that we actually put out, which is quite wild, right? Now, a great benefit of possessing the world's reserve currency is that America can float its ever-expanding debt despite large and growing long-term liabilities. A remarkable 50.9% of U.S. sovereign debt uh, matures in the next three years. The weighted average cost of America's outstanding debt is only 1.38%, so that's a very low cost of borrowing, with more than $22 trillion of that debt owed to the public. Relatively small changes in short-term interest rates could greatly increase the federal deficit. Also, contributing to the Fed's difficulty in raising rates is the portfolio of responsibilities for which it is particularly ill-suited. Despite a questionable record in reaching its inflation targets, right? like I said, the Fed hasn't really reached uh, the inflation targets it's tried to reach over the past decade or even more. The Fed is now expected to use monetary policy to solve a variety of social and political ills from climate change to racial injustice. Uh, with such things on the to-do list, can the Fed ever really justify tightening? Right. Uh, so things that are literally outside of their mandate uh, are things that uh, you know they are you know trying to get done as well as making sure that the economy doesn't completely collapse uh, if prices were uh, to increase too much. Now, uh, there's no doubt that the Fed has tools to fight inflation if it chooses, but the question remains whether it has the political will. Given the size of financial assets relative to the economy, the potential effects of tightening on the federal budget and the Fed's growing list of social responsibilities. Tapering may start by the end of the year, but real tightening could present risks to the economy and, in turn, the Fed's independence. Policymakers seem increasingly convinced that there are few long-term costs to spending money that we don't have. And I think all of this is, is very, very true. And it's, you know, this is not meant to be a specifically um, political point that I'm trying to make. But uh, ultimately, it does come down to the fact that the Fed uh, is, you know, they, they do have certain agendas and they do have certain agendas that aren't just a part of their mandate. Um, and, you know, naturally, you don't want to uh, bite the hand that feeds you. Again, uh, if you are the, you know, Fed chair, you know, you're Jay Powell, you're Jerome Powell, and um, you know, you've been appointed as the Fed chair and uh, you, know, you like that job, you like the perks of that job, you like the powers of that job, because many would argue that's the most powerful man in the world at any given time, the Fed chair. Then why would you want to bite the hand that feeds you? Because ultimately, the administration could get rid of you. And um, there have been talks that Jerome Powell may get uh, ousted. Now, the, the president has said that, um, you know, that he likes Jay Powell and that Jay Powell's done good things. And a lot of people agree with that, but uh, people like Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren have said things to the contrary. But what this all comes down to is, will the Fed be willing to step in and fight inflation, right? And if they don't, then what happens, right? What happens if the Fed does not ever step in and fight inflation? Then we can have problems, right? If the prices of goods and services continue to rise and they end up rising at too high a rate, 
uh, then that is a problem. Now, you can naturally see why it's beneficial when it comes to our deficit uh, and the debt to keep rates low because as you keep rates low, obviously you can raise more low cost debt. Your debt stays low cost, but but a lot of our debt is longer term debt, okay? Longer term debt. So think about how this may work, right? If inflation is running hot, right? That is decreasing the value of the money. Now, not only is it decreasing the value of the money in banks, the value of the money in your pocket, uh, it's increasing the cost of goods. It's also decreasing the value of the debt being held by other countries, right? So China, in holding a lot of our debt, uh, you know, if we allow inflation to run and we don't, uh, you know, tamp down on inflation, the purchasing power of our money will decline. When the purchasing power of your money declines and yet you're paying the exact same dollar amount uh, on your debt, that fixed income uh, nature of debt, you're paying that out uh, to whomever you owe, they are receiving less in real terms over a long period of time uh, than they would have if you just paid them back immediately because uh, the price of inflation is very high when it comes to debt. Okay, so this can be beneficial, uh, but the, the question is, what's the cost to the consumer and what's the cost to markets ultimately, right? And will the Fed actually do what they say that they're going to do uh, or are they out to prove a bigger point globally? Now, that was the Wall Street Journal article. Uh, now let's look at what Jeremy Siegel has to say in the CNBC article. Wall Street may be on the verge of an uncharacteristically painful quarter. Uh, Wharton finance professor Jeremy Siegel, who's known for his positive market forecasts, is sounding the alarm on the market's ability to cope with inflation. We're headed for some trouble ahead, he told CNBC's Trading Nation on Friday. Inflation in general is going to be a much bigger problem than the Fed believes. So that's obviously his opinion, but um, a very credible opinion in most cases. Siegel warns that there are serious risks tied to rising prices. There's going to be pressure on the Fed to accelerate its taper process, he said. I do not believe that the market is prepared for accelerated taper. So again, the market, it, it prices in expectations. Right? It prices in what it expects to happen in the future. And if they don't expect excess tapering, right, then they're not going to price in excess tapering. But if excess tapering occurs, then there could be uh, some very swift movements to the downside. Now, his cautious shift is a clear departure from his bullishness in early January. On January 4th on Trading Nation, he correctly... He correctly predicted the Dow would hit 35,000 in 2021, a 14% jump from the year's market open. Uh, the index hit an all-time high of 35,631.19 uh, on August 16th. On Friday, uh, it closed at 34,326.46. According to Siegel, the biggest threat facing Wall Street is Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell stepping away from easing monetary policy uh, sooner than expected due to surging inflation. We all know that a lot of the levity of the equity market is related to the liquidity uh, that the Fed has provided. If that's going to be taken away faster, that also means that interest rate hikes are going to occur sooner, he noted. Both these things are not positive for the equity market. Siegel is particularly concerned about the impact on growth stocks, particularly technology. He suggests the tech-heavy Nasdaq, which is 5% away from its record high, is set up for sharp losses. There will be a challenge for the long-duration stocks, says Siegel. The tilt will be towards value stocks. He sees the backdrop boding well for companies benefiting from rising rates, have pricing power, and deliver dividends. Yield is scarce, and you don't want to lock yourself into a long-term government bond, uh, which I think you're going to suffer quite dramatically over the next six months, he said. The inflationary backdrop, according to Siegel, may set up underperformers, utilities, and consumer staples known for their dividends for a strong run. 
they may have their day in the sun finally, said Siegel. If uh, you have a dividend, firms can raise their prices, and historically, dividends are inflation protected. They're not as stable, of course, as a government bond, but they have the inflation protection and a positive yield. Uh, he's also bullish on gold. Uh, he talks about how gold uh, seems to be underpriced as well. So, what Siegel's basically saying is the same thing that the Wall Street Journal article is saying, is saying that is Jay Powell going to do what Jay Powell says he's going to do, right? Or is his hand going to be forced? Is he going to be forced into doing something that he didn't say he was going to do or something that he said he was going to do earlier than he said he was going to do? And I know this all seems like semantics to some of you and may not seem like such a big deal, but I promise you, if something like this happens, if the Fed raises rates sooner than we think they are, uh, if they taper sooner than we think they will, or more than we think they will, then the market will react very swiftly. Now, what this all comes back to, and what I try to bring this back to in just every episode that we have, right? I, I may give you a lot of information, I may give you a story, I may you know go through some articles with you, whatever, right? But ultimately, what I want to bring it back to is what we can do about it. Right? What, what are we going to do in light of um, inflation being the case? Now, I do like what Jeremy Siegel says about uh, dividend-paying stocks. Makes a lot of sense, right? But naturally, most of you out there, uh, if, you, you know, if you're not this, maybe you should be. But most of you out there uh, should be just you know, purchasing you know, index funds or purchasing uh, low-cost mutual funds or ETFs or whatever, right? Uh, which diversify you and allow you to uh, grow your money over a long period of time. You're not picking individual companies, most of you. Or uh, I, would, I would suggest that most of you shouldn't be uh, picking individual companies because most people just don't have uh, the wherewithal to do so. Or, you know, I, I'm not, you know, bragging or talking about it about anybody. I'm just saying you don't have the financial knowledge to you know adequately analyze a company, right? So we need uh, to understand what do we do if we're index fund investors? What do we do if we're just pouring money into a 401k or an IRA? What do we do? And the answer is not much. Now, you may want to make sure that your asset allocation is not way too out of whack. There may be some rebalancing that needs done because Naturally, right, uh, if growth stocks have had such a run, right, and a lot of growth stocks have actually fallen quite a bit from their highs, but nonetheless, uh, if growth stocks have had such a run, let's say, right, uh, and it's because rates have remained low, uh, then when rates turn, then what happens? Those growth stocks will come back down to earth. But let's say that growth stocks have had this big run. That's you know risk in your portfolio, but it's provided you a lot of returns. Well, now that portion of your portfolio has gotten larger. Okay. Well, what you should do every now and then, especially to keep up with your risk profile, right, is rebalance your portfolio. Right, go in and take certain percentages that you had previously chosen uh, that you would hold in your portfolio uh, and sell some uh, of maybe a growth stock index and uh, buy some of a value stock index that may have been down or do whatever you have to do to get your proportions back correct uh, in your portfolio. And in doing so, what you'll do is you'll take some risk off the table and you'll uh, buy into some of those out of favor assets, which can be you know very valuable, uh, especially in this type of situation. So, uh, you know, if you buy into some value stocks or, uh, you know, some things that have been, you know, out of favor, then you may end up getting some really good returns because uh, that's just taking a contrarian view on the market. But ultimately, we still need to be buyers, net buyers at all times. We should not be sellers. Okay. Even if you hold a lot of growth stocks or you pick individual stocks and whatever, right, we should not be net sellers. Okay. If anything, 
maybe you want to you know take some uh, profits off the table, not just be a big seller, but take some profits, right? Uh, and then have a little cash in case this type of thing does happen and you can jump back into the same names that you like, but at cheaper prices, right? These things can occur uh, and it's something that I will definitely be looking to do uh, if we see some type of fallout due to inflation because we have to understand that this can be a very, very real thing. And what a lot of people are afraid of is what we call stagflation, which is a horrendous thing, right? Uh, stagflation is where you get a stagnant economy because you have high inflation and you have high unemployment. So what's high inflation going to do? High inflation is going to force the Fed's hand to increase rates, right? Well, when rates are increased, that's not business friendly, but it's more difficult to uh, hire individuals when money is not cheap. Right. So uh, you would want to decrease rates in order to get more people uh, into the labor force, into the, the job market. Right. Uh, so th there's these two things right, that need to occur. You need to decrease the uh, unemployment rate and uh, you need to get to this point where inflation's not running out of control. And the way that you would control for those things as the Federal Reserve uh, are in uh, you know, juxtaposition to one another, which is a problem. Okay, so we don't want to get there. This can be a very, very big problem if we allow it to be. Now, obviously, the Fed has the final say. We do not have the final say. All we can do is make sure that we are properly invested. We have our proper asset allocation. Uh, our risk tolerance is properly met in our portfolio. And then we can just continue to be net buyers, net buyers, net buyers, because over a long period of time, we're going to make money. Now, are expected returns likely to be lower in the future? Of course, over the past decade or so, I mean, we've seen average returns uh, in the S&P 500 that have just been uh, out of this world. If you just look back, uh, I'll look back on a 10-year basis, right? So if you just look back uh, to 2011, we'll go back to September 2011, right? Since then, the annualized S&P 500 return has been 14.277% per year. If you include dividend reinvestment, that's 16.475% per year, right? Which is amazing. That's Those are amazing returns, right? But if you go back, let's say the past 50 years, just to get a better view of what is real, right? Dividend reinvested S&P 500 returns over that time are 10.977%, right? So uh, the past 10 years have beaten uh, the past 50 by like 6%. And yeah, they're a part of the last 50. So that means there's a lot of years that have been going on here that uh, are not even close to what we've seen in the last 10 years. So we may need to get used to lower return expectations, right? And the worst thing that we can do is just try to reach, right? As we try to reach for more and more in the way of returns, what you're doing is you're taking on more and more perceived risk, right? Because risk and return, there is a, a straightforward relationship between risk and return. More risk, more return, all things equal. Now, it's not to say that buying individual stocks, that just because you take more risk, you're going to make more return. That's saying all else equal, you take uh, the average of all things that are higher risk, and they will naturally have higher returns because some of those assets are really going to blow up because of the risk that was taken, okay? So we have to understand that, um, yeah, our returns in the future may be lower, but that does not mean that we should not invest. That does not mean uh, that we should be so spoiled from the last 10 years or 12 years or whatever uh, that we just you know choose to sit it out. Or, or the thing that we're seeing far more often is people choosing to do dumb things with their money, 
right? People reaching, people trying to find ways uh, to get outstanding returns. And the problem being that there aren't that many places that you can go and try to find risk on assets uh, that are going to earn you more than the stock market over a long period of time, especially ones uh, that have a you know a historic record of actually um, you know providing some good returns, providing some good value to the investor. So, what I should tell you to do here, uh, and naturally what I'll tell you to do in almost all cases, right? As an investor, have a process and stay the course. Do not just stray because something's happening, especially on a macroeconomic scale. Uh, you know, Peter Lynch talks about this. Uh, Warren Buffett talks about this. It's so difficult to look at the macro and say, based on the macro, I'm going to make this decision. Right? Pay attention to what you do. Right? Pay attention to what uh, you know your process is, what your mindset is, what your principles are, and then work from there. Do not um, just you know cater to what the macro is. Yes, can the macro help you to make some you know very small decisions over time? Sure, but the macro should not change the way you invest. Uh, and so I wouldn't do so here. But we should just keep our eye out and understand that inflation is a very real thing and can be something that continues to impact our lives uh, over the next years, over the next months. Uh, and we'll see what the Fed does. Who knows? Um, but hopefully, hopefully uh, they know what they're doing and they can um, you know, remain independent and take care of this um, inflation situation, this inflation scare um, in the best way that they know how, right? They are uh, you know, the, the professionals, this is their job. This is what they've been trained to do. So, uh, we'll see what happens and, uh, I'll keep you updated uh, on how this whole fight against inflation continues to occur. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.